Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Today, roughly 42 million unpaid caregivers care for older loved ones in the United States. By 2050, Older adults will represent over 20% of the population. How are we going to care for all of them? Join me, Sujin Pak, the host of Uncared For, as I turn the spotlight on the emotional highs and lows of elder care in season two. Through intimate conversations with family caregivers, we'll explore what it takes to ensure our loved ones can age with dignity. Uncared For from Lemonada Media and the Commonwealth Fund is out on May 15th, wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. I'm Kiki Monique, and this is I'm Sorry, a podcast about apologies. And this week, I have way more scars from animals that I love than I normally (laughs) do. I mean, if people didn't know that I loved animals, they'd probably think I was in some combative relationship. (laughs) Okay. I know, I know. <laughs> Having animals is is truly something else. Yeah. Uh, and this is Mohanad Al Sheikhi. And this week, I've uh, I've been sick all week, which has been great for me because I had the week off. And you know, this is how I like to spend my time off: just lay on the couch, be between the state of being awake and asleep the whole time. <laughs> oh no. Um. Okay. Well, and I'm Oha Lopez, and this week. I went to a dog park and a corgi peed on my foot and I was extremely grateful because it was extremely cute. It was a puppy corgi and it, I thought it was just, you know, pausing close to me for in order for me to pet it, but truly it had a a business to take care of. And so it peed on my shoe and I threw those shoes away and uh, it was time anyways. That's good news for old corgis in (laughs) Chicago. If you you need a foot to pee on, I have one for you. So this week's episode is all about Taylor Swift. And I'm so excited because I have a uh, I've had ups and downs in my relationship with Taylor Swift, but w- I mean like what do you guys know about Taylor? Like when did she first come into your lives? Like tell me a little bit about your relationship to Taylor Swift. I feel like most of my relationship for the early years would literally be me listening to a song and being like, "Ooh, this is good. Who is this? Oh, Taylor Swift, really? I mean, I, that went on for years. Every time I just didn't know a song, but I really liked it, it was always Taylor Swift. Yeah. Well, my, my relationship with Taylor Swift goes way back. I remember meeting her in 1989. We were at a <laughs> hospital in Pennsylvania, and I was also being born. Uh, what, a, what a time. Uh, well... <laughs> 
Are you saying I, that you were born in the same hospital as Taylor Swift and not where we previously thought you were born? We were switched at birth. Actually, her parents <laughs> are my parents, and it's just, you know, like I mean, I'm I'm happy for her. Whatever. I mean, their her parents could have had a comedian instead, but you know, sometimes that's how it works. But for real though, I uh, I mean, I knew about Taylor Swift. I wasn't like you know, listen to all of her songs and all of her albums and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I feel like lately she's been, you know, I feel like more present in my... In our uh, lives. In our lives. (laughs) I agree. So I'll tell you, I had sort of like a frown upon Taylor Swift relationship when she first came out, especially with like teardrops on my guitar. Like I would sing her songs because I heard them so often as a receptionist of the medical spa that I worked at. And I was just like, okay, I know these songs. But in general, like my view of Taylor Swift was like, eh, I don't really like her. I don't like I was sort of like, um, didn't really enjoy Taylor Swift that much. And then I'm going to admit this, but in some ways I came around to Taylor Swift because Lena Dunham, when girls came out, I really loved girls. And it was like, uh, to me, like a cool, interesting new show when it first came out on HBO. And Lena Dunham was like, oh, I love Taylor Swift. And it gave the little like hateful hipster asshole inside of me at that time, who was probably, I don't know, maybe... 25 or something like that permission to like look at Taylor Swift in a new light kind of so Lena Dunham kind of I don't know there was something cool at that time about Lena Dunham like living in New York and artist parents and having her own show with Judd Apatow on on HBO and so I was like oh I guess if Lena Dunham likes Taylor Swift there must be something actually cool or interesting about Taylor Swift no I mean that makes a lot of sense I feel like Taylor personified this like all-American girl. She's a Barbie doll. She's everything that we, or like a lot of people are like against, like, no, like we have too much of that. And I do think at the time, Lena was this edgy person. And yeah, for her to be like, I love Taylor, I will say that that did speak volumes. Yeah. So it gave me kind of a new perspective then. And then I started kind of like listening to her songs, like, I guess, more seriously in the sense of like, well, is this actually good or not? Versus just kind of like, lightly listening and generally disapproving of her kind of being like another tall, blonde, hot singer lady, you know, like, I just didn't see anything particularly interesting about her. But, you know, and that's, again, to my detriment, because I feel like at that time, again, I just had no idea that I was hating on women for no reason, you guys. I really had to come out of that. <laughs> I had to really You didn't grow. know? I, I, I mean... I kind of always knew when I would hate on a woman for any real, like, for no reason. Well, I didn't realize that it was, like, systemic or that, like, Uh, it was a part of, like, you know, like, media slinging some women hate kind of thing. I just thought that I was, like, free of all systemic forces and I was just, like, just a complete and total angel in my own right. And that if I disliked anyone, it was because they merited being disliked, you know? (laughs) And so I think at this time, I sort of started realizing, like, oh, I... I'm influenced by things and by media and by people, probably around 25, really. Which, again, I'd like to ask for forgiveness in that regard. You know, I will say I'm sorry about all of that because certainly was a big slut shamer when I was growing up in high school. I thought it was like some (laughs) kind of moral high ground that I had that I hadn't had sex. And really, I was just a virgin who couldn't drive. Like, I did have this idea of who Swifties were. Like, all Taylor Swift fans, in my mind fit a very specific mold. 
And so what I feel like we just found out that our producer, Alex, was a huge Taylor Swift fan. That actually shocked me because I just look at Alex as this like really edgy, cool chick. And to know she's a huge Swifty actually just like blows my mind even more and makes me want to be like, okay, maybe I need to start going back and listening to all these albums because maybe I've missed something completely. Yeah. Well, as as someone who's uh, who's very active on, on Twitter and has, you know, verified, I would like to say uh, from this platform that I think the Swifties are great. They're amazing people. Uh, <laughs> they're the best. And they're I, special and yeah, kind. Please, please do not come after me. Leave me alone. I am, I am a good person. I think Taylor Swift is, is the best artist to ever live. So I'm going to start with a little bit of information about Taylor. So Taylor Allison Swift, her professional legal <laughs> and womanly name, her full grown lady name. So it turns out that she's born on this like Christmas tree farm, which I realize is a thing, but okay. yeah, she's just basically born in a Christmas wonderland. And so her mother was a professional opera singer. And so there's some kind of music in her family. And by the age of 10, Taylor is like singing at local events and fairs and contests. And then by the age of 12, she is beginning to write her own songs. So her first ever song that she wrote is called Lucky You. And she writes it when she's 12 years old. And this is my favorite. When a computer repairman comes to her house and teaches her how to play three chords on the guitar. So first impression of that interaction, I don't like it. <laughs> but, but clearly he gave her something wonderful. It reminded me of like, you know, uh, Queen's Gambit with the janitor in yeah. the basement who like teaches. There's always like some magical janitor or yeah. computer repairman. Who, like, and one thing a lot of people don't know that computer man it was Steve Jobs. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He grew up to be Steve Jobs, the, the founder of Apple, who's dead now. But, you know, yeah. I feel like there's like a certain age where just stranger danger went away. Like I definitely yes. grew up with stranger danger. And like if the cable guy or someone came, I ran, I hid in my room. I locked the door. <laughs> there's a strange man in my house. No, you can't teach me how to play guitar. You old perv. You, you missed out, Kiki. You could have been the next Taylor Swift. Damn it. Oh my God. So, okay. So Taylor, after learning, you know, these three chords on the guitar is now Taylor Swift. But um, no, so to, in order to pursue her music career, she ends up moving to like Nashville. And again, her her family, I guess, like noted her dedication to the music and ended up moving to Hendersonville, Tennessee. So close to Nashville, so she could visit Nashville, which I feel is like the story of a lot of like prodigious children actors or musicians where it's like if i tell you that there's no way in fucking hell i would have been able to convince my parents to move across country for my career at 13 years old yeah. there is not a damn fucking chance that that would have ever happened i couldn't even convince my parents to like get on a plane for vacation it was car rides <laughs> to myrtle beach only like, that's all i got yeah. yeah. Oh my God. But yeah, Taylor Swift's parents are like, sure, we'll move a complete to a completely different city just in order for you to pursue a, a career. So she ends up performing at like the famed Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. And she kind of performs all around until she ends up getting a contract with Scott Borchetta's Big Machine record. So at this time, Big Machine is kind of a smaller label, but she she kind of like, you know, hooks this fish and starts, you know, creating her own music, which is awesome. And, and she's then, how old at this time? 
At this time, she's 14 years old, basically. So that's kind of when she gets her big break and starts working on her self-titled album, which is her very first one. And these are all tunes that she wrote when she was in high school. Like literally her first album is songs she wrote as a freshman in high school. Mm. Um, So she ends up going on tour before her album comes out fully with Faith Hill and Tim McGraw, which actually ends up being the highest grossing country tour of all time, that Faith Hill and Tim McGraw one. So She's sort of like in the public eye. And while her album hasn't come out, she's doing gigs in front of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who I'm sure end up buying her records afterwards. And country music fans are just like loyal. I mean, to this day, they're probably still the only ones who will go and actually buy a CD like at the Walmart, at the Target. Like they will buy the physical version. Which is insane. Let's be honest. That's crazy town. (laughs) Um, um, Okay, anyway, so on this first album, she's got the song, a single called Tim McGraw, which is the first that she's on tour with, and it ends up peaking number five on album charts. So at this point, she's really starting to gauge some, get some steam kind of. And I just wanted to bring in one of the lyrics that I liked about this Tim McGraw song, because it genuinely, to me, feels like what I thought about country music then. So it's... Uh, put those Georgia stars to shame that night. I said, that's a lie. Just a boy in a Chevy truck that had a tendency of getting stuck on back roads at night. What? That is what I think all like country songs are about. There's a truck. There's a dirt road. There's the word Georgia and stars in it. And there's yep. the word boy in it. And so yeah. at this point, I was like, this is not good. You know, this is not. <laughs> yeah. I have no appreciation for the country. The country life. But in any case, for this album, also teardrops on my guitar are on it. Picture to burn. Should have said no. I mean, it's really she is blowing the hell up. Yeah. None of those songs I don't think I've ever heard. I will say. Yeah. Yeah, You've probably heard teardrops on my guitar. I can't say I have. Do I need to sing a portion of it? Well, maybe. Yeah. Just Yeah, please do. Okay. Do you guys remember... um, Teardrops on my guitar. Okay, I'll be I'll be honest, I don't know the song. I just realized I, that now. I as love I'm, that you thought if you just added a melody to the title, we'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. That one. Teardrops on my guitar. Yeah, and that's it. That's really truly all I know. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, okay. no. Oh, I, you did a great job. You know when you go into something thinking you are excellent at things? Yeah, I love your then... confidence. I <laughs> admire your confidence. Oh, that was great. Strive oh, to no. have that much confidence. Okay, well, we'll listen to it after this episode. This is where we arrived to me um, in 2008 to the first man that I think that needs to apologize to Taylor Swift. <laughs> so... Um, first man that needs to apologize to Taylor Swift is Joe Jonas. So they dated from July of 2008 to October of 2008. So it was a brief romance. And I'll be honest, Taylor's past is littered with brief romances, but also whose isn't? Yeah. So they barely dated, but their breakup was like extremely dramatic. So it all kind of went down. But then when we really got it confirmed as Taylor went on Ellen, which I don't know if you guys remember this appearance in November of 2008, basically saying that Joe Jonas had broken up with her over the phone in 25 seconds when she was 18 years old. So, I mean, 25 second breakup. That, to me, deems for an apology. Well, how old were they at the time? 
they were 18 and he was like maybe 19 or something like that. So, yeah. okay, we see Kiki. She's like, oh, I think it's sufficient. 25 for... second breakup when you're 18 feels about right. <laughs> it feels good. I'll, I'll, I'll say, th- I'll say this. I have a, I have a new, uh, you know, uh, uh, another way I view Joe Jonas now, because there's a, a Netflix special that just came out called the Jonas Brothers Roast. Yes, and I and I watched it because I I do not care uh, what is it. I'll watch it if it's <laughs> if it's supposedly comedy. And uh, Jesus Christ, uh, it's like I imagine the way they pitched that was like someone came to Netflix was like, would you imagine if comedy was not funny? Yeah, we have something for you right here. We have truly something. one of the worst shows. So Joe Jonas needs to apologize for so many things. Needs to apologize <laughs> to me. Needs to apologize to Taylor Swift. Needs to apologize to everyone, really. Uh, so yeah, uh, you get no love from me, Joe Jonas. I've never like I will watch like you any comedy, any roast, especially I love. Yeah, yep. never have I watched a Netflix trailer for anything like that and been like, absolutely not. Like, remove. Can I unlike <laughs> so you never show up so in bad. my suggestion again? In my again. suggestions again. So yeah. Bad. Yeah. I was going to watch it and then somebody told me it was really bad. And I was like, well, I could have watched it if it was okay ish. But no, they were like, you will absolutely hate it. And I was so like, bad. okay. So bad. Thank you for saving me um, that bit of time. But all that to say is Taylor goes on Ellen and blasts Joe. So there's a little bit of revenge there in that way. And then this is a part that I really think he needs to apologize for, which is he drops a song with the Jonas Brothers called Much Better. And, you know, Swifty fans are very much like, oh, this is a diss track because he references her song Teardrops on My Guitar in his. And he says, now I'm done with superstars and all the tears on her guitar. I'm not bitter, but now I see everything I'd ever need is the girl in front of me because she's much better. That's what Joe Jonas says about okay. Taylor Swift well, in his song, you guys. I truly cannot think of something more pathetic. They'll just be like, right? <laughs> just, just be like, hey, just like running to your two brothers and be like, <laughs> I need to I write have, a song. I, I want you to uh, stand with me because this woman is talking shit about me on Ellen. Uh, we're going to say stuff about her. Okay. And then them being like, okay, brother. I just keep thinking about like, if I was 18 and had a platform and like had some of the breakups I did around the time, I, it would have been a hot mess. I wouldn't have stopped. Yeah. Yeah. You would have used your platform to absolutely tear apart yeah. every person who ever wronged uh, you, which let's be honest, Taylor does. She goes and does it, but she does it in a beautiful, lyrical, melodic way. She's just, yeah. you know, she's she's got it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere? 
and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time. Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrush are out now, wherever you get your podcasts. So this is where we reach the most, uh, to me, insane and stupid parts of American pop culture, which is 2009 VMAs and Kanye West. Oh, my God. I know. So, you know, Taylor gets a ton of awards for her next album that comes out called Fearless. And I mean, this woman is winning like video of the year, female video of the year for Love Story. She is like... MTV Video Music Awards Best Female Video. And then at the same time, you know, this Beyonce is also on there. And I mean, let's be honest, like Beyonce is guns a blazing at this moment. To me, like Beyonce is like creating ephemera at this point. But um, I mean, basically, you know, West comes on stage and, you know, interrupts her as we kind of all know that story. But with these many years apart, from that event like can you guys remember how you reacted to the kanye like interrupting swift on stage like and now that it's been this many years i mean how do you feel about like that event in particular i i mean i remember watching it when it it came out and saw it like so many times and i thought it was you know it was fucked up because you're just like coming at like this basically teenager who just like really for the first time ever had a had a moment and just got ruined by someone who's like you know one of one of the most famous artists on the planet and she said herself that she was a fan of him so you know he's Kanye West especially at the time but I'll say between then and now Kanye has made it his mission to make that thing that he did to Taylor not the worst thing that he's ever done so good for him yeah I feel like that Taylor Swift moment for me was like the first cracking the armor i was like okay kanye like this isn't you're you're acting up a bit like what's going on and it just then was just a preemptive like this is who he actually is (laughs) like we just he'd either been hiding it or whatever um that's who he is and i will say what i love that happened from all of that was how the women that i already loved just i made made me love them more like Finding out that Pink went up to Kanye right when he came back to his seat and basically cussed him out and called him, you know, piece of shit, like all of this. I mean, I already loved Pink. Now she's like forever, like you are always (laughs) female. Yes. And then hearing the story, you know, you know, Beyonce was really upset and you could see it in her face. You know, they immediately panned to her, you know, and you could see she was upset and finding out that like, you know, backstage you know, Taylor's crying and Beyonce's crying and Beyonce was going to like leave because I think that she was like upset that people would think she had something to do with it. Right. Cause she's yeah. the biggest star, you know, and finding out that she was, you know, they kind of let her know, look, you have a big award coming. We weren't going to tell you, please stick around and use this as, as an opportunity to like, let's bring this art complete and you can bring Taylor back on stage and let her have her moment. And she did that. So I think I just the women that I already loved 
I just made me love him more. And the men that I already was questionable about <laughs> just got more questionable over time. Yeah, because I also remember one thing that Taylor Swift said in the uh, documentary uh, Miss Americana on Netflix, where she said that, you know, like people started booing when, you know, Connie did his whole thing. And she thought that they were booing her. And, you oh. know... As someone whose whole uh, career, me, uh, is based on, uh, you know, uh, not being booed on stage and people liking you, I was like, that would have devastated me if I thought all of these people were booing me at that time on live TV. Yeah, I mean, I once did, um, what are the, like the snap, like a, what was the comedy thing we did when your mom is so fat? Like those jokes, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like when I was 19, like went on stage to like, do one of those and like you to did prepare like a for yo it. mama co- like a battle it was a comedy contest and <laughs> in order to prepare for it like i went to like the like barnes and nobles or whatever and like was reading snap like jokes to like really prepare the one i was gonna like do yeah, yeah. and i went up and literally the first one off bombed and like no one booed me but it wasn't like they didn't boo me it was kind yeah. of like a boo and like i can't the imagine. silence is worse than the boo oh yeah. god yeah yeah I can't imagine. And she's a young person at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in my mind, I had this feeling of like, I did think Beyonce should have won. Like, I agreed with Kanye, but obviously didn't agree with how he kind of went about it. But yeah, there was certainly some kind of painful reminder of what's to come with Kanye West. Um, But the thing is, Beyonce Beyonce won like every other award. Every other. They're like, you gotta give one to another girl. Taylor won one award. Like, you know, like she won best female video. Beyonce won best video of of everybody. You know, like. I totally get that. No. And I I think for me, it was just um, this feeling again of what I mentioned to how about how I felt about Taylor Swift before Mm. is I just didn't really regard her as like, a great artist or somebody we should we should have been paying that much attention to and i think i sort of like bit into that side of things and again this sort of kicks off basically like a decades long strange relationship between taylor and kanye and you know much more to come on that front so then we come to december of 2009 to february of 2010 and this is right before speak now comes out and then she's dating john mayer so John Mayer is my next man who needs to apologize to Taylor Swift. Okay, so just as a side note, John Mayer, thoughts? Shoot, tell me. I'd say I like his sneakers game. Other than that, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Truly. Yeah. Gotcha. So we have uh, we have some ambivalence about John Mayer. I feel like John Mayer in some ways is, in some ways, please hold off just for a moment. John Mayer is also a singer-songwriter who writes very often about things that happen in his real life. And he dates a shit ton of women, right? And other famous people. So to me, there's this sort of like mirror image and a great example to compare John Mayer to Taylor Swift because they're linked together through collaborating for this particular song called Half of My Heart. But then as things kind of sour between them, people tend to very harshly criticize Taylor. This is when the narrative of Taylor dates a lot of people starts to take shape is through this kind of very public John Mayer um, kind of but breakup. But she's like 19 and he's like 31 at this time or something like yes. that, right? Yeah. So exactly. So she's 19 and he's 32 at this point. Okay. And we really have no confirmation because neither of them have fully confirmed that they ever dated. 
But for me, it's sort of a confirmation comes after. So she puts or releases the song Dear John, which, you know, Swift fans are like, this is allegedly about John Mayer. And one of the lyrics of it is Dear John, I see it all now. It was wrong. Don't you think 19 is too young to be played by your dark, twisted games when I loved you so? Aha! I feel like a detective, you guys. This is so ridiculous. That's funny. Because I remember he was so mad about it. He was! He was so mad about it. He was so furious. Which nobody nobody could really say with certainty that it was about him. But then he went on... He went on record with Rolling Stone magazine and basically like said something about I can't remember. What did he say in that one, Mahana? Do you know? It was like it made me feel terrible. Yeah, he felt like like lousy. Yeah, he felt humiliated. He was just like, This is you know, he made it sound like this is the worst thing to ever happen to him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, He said it was like a a kind of cheap songwriting. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who doesn't know the cheap songwriting when you write about your own personal life? You know, <laughs> that's what I'm yeah. saying. You would never say that about Adele. Like, you know, she, if you're if you're in her circle, in her life, you know, a song can be written about you and you should feel blessed. Honored. That yes. is correct. Exactly. Honored yeah. that you ever made a dent in the life of that one, like someone that talented. But yeah, exactly. so he just he sort of confirms it in posterity for me when he said, um, oh, he said something about he never got an email, never got a phone call that it was going to happen. So he was kind of caught off guard by the song. But it's also like, bro, you're 32 or 33 at this point, And she's still a 19 or 20 year old. So she didn't have to call you for shit. Got an email. Know? Imagine if every time I wrote a joke about something or someone, I send him an email and be like, hey, you <laughs> you might be the subject of this uh, this joke. Right. Like the number of emails we'd have to send just from this show alone from all <laughs> the know. people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We might drop your name i don't know you're a public figure (laughs) deal with it yeah so then after you know this whole john mayer things comes out um and this is again they date from 2009 to february of 2010 in 2010 at the end of the year jake gyllenhaal comes into the picture and they date from october of 2010 to january of 2011 so this is a very short-lived three-month romance that now turns into a 10-minute short film with the 10-minute version of All Too Well, which has just come out in this last, you know, December, November of this year. Feels like Jake Gyllenhaal was BDE before BDE was a thing. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. I remember seeing that picture of, like, her hanging off of his shoulder on I don't know if it was Us Weekly or People Magazine, but like the tabloids were crazy about this. And, you know, according to like a few of the a few of the articles that I was reading, he sort of like called it quits with her because he was uncomfortable about the amount of press that he and Taylor were receiving. So he he said he kind of wasn't feeling it anymore. He could feel the age difference. And then at the time Taylor is, you know, just turning 21 while Jake was 29. So uh, this is sort of spiraled into a crazy conspiracy thing, which you guys know anything about like the scarf and Maggie Gyllenhaal and yeah. Diane Warwick. Is this all coming up for you guys in the last uh, couple of weeks? I mean, yeah, this is like, I didn't know about the scarf in the 2000, you know, 
whatever in 2011 10, yeah uh, yeah 11 era i know about it now in in detail <laughs> okay tell me about the scarf and what you know about it because i i think i have the same information but i'd love to know well okay i will go backwards the it, it came up um maggie gyllenhaal was on watch what happens live recently and it was after the re-release of this song and one of the audience members like asked you know like is his Taylor scarf at your house? And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I think Andy had to explain, like, this is a lyric in the song that, like, she said that, you know, left my scarf at your sister's house. And she's like, oh, my God, for the last, like, 10 years, people have been asking me about a scarf. I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> oh now that God. I know, like, I mean, I don't know if I believe that. I guess I would believe that. But it seems like after 10 years, you would start asking if people kept asking you about so a scarf, you would funny. do some research. But hilarious because like the scarf i i do want to know like is it sitting in maggie's like (laughs) coat closet (laughs) oh my god yeah it's very strange um well she does say and you've still got it in your drawer even now so i think the scarf has left maggie gillen's house and gone back to jake gillen's house this is a very coveted scarf but I think the thing is so funny because she this is red at this point. So it gets released in 2012 and is my first time that I listened to a Taylor Swift album and was like, "Oh, I love this. I love this album." I mean, this is it, she described it as her uh, that she looks back on this as her, her one and only true breakup album. So all the yeah. other ones have not actually been breakup albums. This has been like for her, I think one of her most personal okay. ones. So she said she was really sad when Red came out. And this is an interview she did with Seth Meyers this year, just like in, in November. And uh, she's much more able to go through that in particular. So all that to say is I don't necessarily think Jake Gyllenhaal needs to apologize for having broken up with Taylor Swift. But it, it just is um, worth a mention because he does need to return her scarf. And that to me is... I know. Like, what is why? Why does he still have it? Like, what's happening here? Does he still wear it? Well, according to the like the lyrics, right? It's he he keeps it because it reminds him of her. Because even though he never said "I love you," I think he really did. And this scarf is proof. So the scarf is proof. He should like no. I, I'm still not. I don't think he. I want him to keep it. I, if if there, that love was really and it did feel like this was. Taylor's first love. That's what, when we hear about this, it Mm. feels like this is the person that she for years thought was like the one that got away. And so she probably wants him to keep that scarf. Oh yeah, she probably does. She holds out a candle, you know, a little candle for old Jake Gyllenhaal, (laughs) which uh, she's got the lyrics in her new song that are like, um, uh, I get older, but your lovers stay the same age. And now Jake Gyllenhaal is dating a 24 or 25 year old. Oh, so I think it's that thing where I'm like, okay, Jake Gyllenhaal, this is the time to grow up and maybe you have to date some people your own age. We're starting to get nasty here. We're starting to get the George Clooney, Leonardo DiCaprio vibe. But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to judge these these old guys who are dating young women a little bit less. That's what I that's my gonna be my resolution for 2022. <laughs> because I'm harsh on them. I am harsh on them. Hi. 
Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few, and of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. To kind of move through, you know, her next pieces, she... um, you know, puts out 1989 and 2014. And this is, you know, it's her biggest selling album. I feel like 1989 is where she like cements her sort of status as literally one of the biggest stars that's ever existed on planet Earth. I mean, Shake It Off is on that blank space, which is probably my favorite Taylor Swift song of all time. And we see her now kind of making fun again of this character that people are thrusting upon her as being this sort of serial dater. So she's, to me, this is when she starts taking herself a little bit less seriously. And I think when I fully and truly fall in love with Taylor Swift, but. And I think this is when I start paying attention. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're listening to Shake It Off and you're (laughs) in your little office going like, who is this? This is great. (laughs) But yeah, there, there's certainly this feeling for, for Taylor of like, she is totally and utterly mainstream and at this time she's like starts dating harry styles before that she's you know dating connor kennedy so she's again dating but none of these guys are really you know it for her so we kind of all get back to 2016 and this is when kanye west's album is coming out so this is kind of when kanye sweeps back into taylor's life And I don't know if you guys remember that kind of infamous phone call between Kanye West and Taylor Swift, where he basically states that Taylor gave him permission to use those lyrics in particular. And then obviously on the other side, Taylor saying that she never approved those lines. So, I mean, when this was coming out, I was like, this is the juiciest thing that's ever happened to me. I I know that it's not happening to me, but it feels like it is. (laughs) What was y'all's impression of when that phone call came out? It truly does not take a detective to know that Taylor Swift did not approve this. Like, (laughs) why would anyone approve being called a bitch in a song? Especially like Taylor Swift. Like, that's not her brand. This is not her, like, music. And also, uh, there's, I think, I'm, maybe I'm remembering this wrong. There was a lyric about like him, like 
he should have sex with Taylor Swift or like she owes him sex or something. Yeah. Which also kind of creepy. Not yeah. kind of. is creepy. <laughs> like yeah. you are way older than her and you're married, a, a married man who is just like talking about someone who is, you know, a child at the time, like 19 or 18 and saying that she owes you sex because you made her famous. I don't think you made her famous. It's just uh, also uh, she was winning an award over Beyonce. (laughs) So I think she was doing well. She was. And that's the thing. Like, there was so much that went, you know, back and forth about this lyric, right? And her saying, you know, I, I didn't think it was that bad because, you know, when he read the lyric, you know, what he said didn't sound bad at the time. But the misogynistic tone was just like, it wasn't the word bitch. She was talking about like the fact that like, you're saying you made me famous. Like, you know, he, yeah. she, you know, she's saying it's like not the bitch thing. Like I, he's like, I told you, I told her it was the bitch and she had no problem with it. We find out later she didn't know that the word bitch was going to be used, but that wasn't the misogyny she was referring to. The misogyny she was referring to is like you saying that, you know, you made her famous. And that's why she didn't release it on her Twitter which you also admitted was like she has a Taylor army and like you wanted her army to back it up. Yeah, he he didn't want to come off as if he was like saying those things negatively about Taylor. So he gives her kind of like a half in like a half informed response and tapes it. Yeah. And I feel like this is when I started kind of not that I had fully gone on board with Taylor, but you know, I was definitely leaning more towards the Kanye Kim side of it because now I can reflect and say like all of these things but in that moment I was definitely like oh team Kanye and Kim because yeah he went on stage and embarrassed her but in this moment he's saying he got her approval and now this tape is showing she did give the approval so yeah. she's a liar and like oh when that came out I was incensed against Taylor Swift I was like Taylor you lied you told us all that he didn't yeah. get your permission and now and now maneuvered this man and basically lied and it wasn't yeah it wasn't just listening to the tape because like you know everyone in in the media was just framing it as like this is what you should think. She did lie. So for four years, everyone was just like, okay, yeah, she did lie. I mean, everyone agrees on that. And then, I mean, wasn't it like four years later that it came out that she did not lie? Because I think there was like another recording that was released. Yeah. Where she specifically said that she doesn't approve this. Yeah, well, it, it didn't say that she didn't approve it. What the recording, because one of the things that, you know, she had said, I think even in that moment was like, this was a highly edited video and it doesn't show the full conversation. But at that point we were all like, whatever, liar, liar, pants on fire. We heard you say you had no problem with it because (laughs) she, she does say those words like, oh, that's not that bad. That's fine. When someone releases the full conversation that isn't chopped up, what we hear is Kanye saying, you know, can you release this on your Twitter? I know this line It's going to be like really harsh, but like, you know, my wife, I ran it by her and at first she was not cool with it, but now it's her favorite line. And he, he kept like building up, building it up. This goes on for two minutes of building it up. And finally she's just like, what is this line? And he says like, you owe me sex, whatever the line is, you owe me sex. And I, I made Taylor Swift famous. Like he doesn't say bitch. And yeah. Uh, but he does say that line and she goes, okay, well, like, that's doesn't seem that bad. I thought you were going to call me like a dumb bitch. <laughs> like, I think she even said that. 
Um, yeah, yeah. And so when the full tape came out, then it was like, wait, she wasn't lying. She she didn't get she didn't hear the whole verse, so she couldn't have approved it. She didn't know what you were saying. The problem was the release of this full tape. Yeah, comes out in March of 2020 when we're just trying to fight to stay alive, right? Like <laughs> yes. we're at a point. It's like March 23rd, I think it comes out, or March 20th that it comes out. True. And it was yeah. funny because it, this this incident, this conversation came up just this past weekend where we, my friend and I, were talking about Taylor Swift. And she was just like, well, yeah, but, you know, I will say I I give Kanye props for, you know, at least calling her out when she was a liar. And I said, but then she called him out for being a liar. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, did I, am I miss, I feel like I remember that. (laughs) And then I went back and I was like, yeah, nobody saw this because in March of 2020, that was the last thing we were concerned about. And I remember what was funny is Kim Kardashian like wrote this whole thread about it. And she said, cannot believe that you're trying to ignite this old like conflict, especially at a time when everyone is fighting in their lives through a pandemic. And it's just like, okay. She's like, yeah, poor people are fighting in a pandemic to stay alive. And people are like losing their jobs and stuff. And this is what you want to talk about. I'm just like, okay, Kim Kardashian. about to go back to her ig feed on from march to june of 2020 and see what she was posting because i bet you all see some skims or something exactly i (laughs) i love i love to bring up like poor people fighting for their lives and stuff like that when it suits me didn't she like literally have a birthday party on like a like a private island yes during the pandemic and i'm just like shut up yeah and i think one of the things that comes out of all of it is Kardashian basically refers to Swift as a snake on social media. And then that becomes literally the catalyst for Reputation, which is her next album. And every single one of like the social media adverts, everything that comes out is just like snake related from Taylor Swift. So it's almost like taking the narrative from what Kardashian called her and turned it into. And also what a great name for her next album, Reputation. It's like a really cool... Kind of like, fuck, everybody's talking shit about me right now. I'm going to put this album out. And it turns out to have my favorite. Actually, okay, so my favorite song is Blank Space. But my second favorite song of Taylor Swift of all time is I Did Something Bad. It is a very good song. I will send it to you both. It is Oh, excellent. you don't want to sing. You don't want to sing a little um, part of it. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, my God. Stop calling me out. Okay. But it's such a good song. And it talks about. Um, her relationship with Calvin Harris and she just is like a fully formed bad bitch in this song and Reputation is such a great album too but just to kind of go back to sort of the next part of Taylor Swift's life which is dealing with this whole uh, she's changing from her previous big machine uh, record label and moving to a completely new large label that's allowing her to own her masters, which kind of brings us to current contemporary modern Taylor. Um, Do you guys know anything about what was going on with Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun, who is also, by the way, Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber's and Kanye West's manager. So probably the biggest manager out there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like that because I feel like that started also happening during lockdown. And I just remember seeing fighting online between like scooter and taylor and then you know 
Justin posting pictures with Scooter and Ariana and then being like, Ariana, you don't support Taylor and just fighting. I didn't, I knew what it was about. I knew it had something to do with her rights to her music, but I didn't know the specifics until later. Yeah, same. I didn't know much about it. And honestly, like what I kept hearing owning my owning masters, I thought it meant owning the people in charge of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought it was. You're getting like old, in, baby. The industry moguls or whatever. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it's just the original version of the song or whatever. Okay, cool, cool, Which cool, cool. interesting that, you know, Master Bedroom kind of lost its right to be called a Master <laughs> Bedroom during lockdown. But Masters of, like, records did it. But yeah. oh, I yeah. digress. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so We'll ridiculous. get there. We'll get the next lockdown. Uh, we'll... <laughs> Well, primary, that one too. primary record, I guess is what yep, we're yep. <laughs> That is so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So really, we'll call it like June of, of 2019 is when I first started hearing about it because she basically put out a statement uh, expressing like an immense amount of dismay that the catalog of her music from her first six albums up to Reputation had been sold by Big Machine to a company owned by Scooter Braun. And one of the reasons that it got sold ended up being that Big Machine wanted Taylor to sign a a giant NDA, basically, wanted her to sign a a contract stating that she was going to earn each one of her albums back. So for every new album that she put out, they were going to give her ownership of one of her previous albums, meaning that she had to produce another six albums for Big Machine in order to fully own the masters of her previous ones. But she couldn't control whether or not after signing that contract, the whole label got sold to somebody else with her as kind of like a selling ticket or a credit for buying that label. So she's like, she basically found herself being forced to walk away from Big Machine and all of her old discography when she went to her new label, which created this huge rift between her and Borchetta, her old, like the old owner of of Big Machine. So as soon as she actually walked away from it, that's when Scooter Braun kind of came in, who noticeably because he managed Kanye and Kim Kardashian, she felt like he was instrumental in creating the PR that negatively affected her. And so they had a big beef even before he even purchased any of her stuff. So she didn't want to be associated with him. She felt like he had been bullying her and was a part of that. And then when uh, Scott Borchetta actually sold Big Machine to Scooter without giving her really an option, aside from that ironclad NDA, she felt like she had no choice. It feels like full on bullying. I mean, you know, oh, like yeah. we know, obviously it was what, like a four year period? How long was that period that Taylor was, you know, canceled, right? Like after when people thought she was lying about Kanye until, you know, 2020 when we learned she's not. We obviously know, you know, the Kardashians, they're just another government. They're like a a second government that controls things. And (laughs) if, you know, Kim doesn't like someone, I can imagine that if she's friends with, with, I'm sure she's friends with Scooter because he managed Kanye. And he's like, you know, I just don't like that bitch. Like, I can imagine he's like, I'm never going to sell to her. Got it. Like, 
I look, I would do that. My friends don't fuck with somebody <laughs> yeah. and I, I own something they want. I would straight up do that. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I think it's really interesting when it happens on such a high level with these people because you think, well, they have all the money in the world. But they do. They have all the money in the world so they can play this game that we would play on a bullshit level at this very crazy high stakes level. Well, they also have the biggest egos in the world. That's why yes, they are exactly. the stars, right? So, of course, this is like fun for them. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, it it's not about money anymore. You know, it's about power. That's 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 all it, you know, just fucking with people. Yeah. You're so right, though, because like power, like wanting all of this power, it's like more than money, more than everything. And having to say I'm sorry strips all amount of power from that person, which is why it's the hardest thing to get from someone because yeah. they just they've lost at that point and they just don't like that. Exactly. So, a scooter, if you're listening to this, you're you're invited to come on this podcast and apologize. <laughs> you you know? haven't done it yet, Scoots. It's it's your time to redeem yourself, baby. Come on this podcast and apologize. <laughs> Yeah, so kind of like moving into, again, why Taylor Swift is re-releasing. So Masters in Essence, you can own a master, but essentially she's covering her own song, which is now under a new copyright law. So essentially, if you download or listen to Taylor's version on Spotify, on any of these other platforms, you're essentially offering Taylor an opportunity to make money off of her own recordings. So I definitely encourage people to listen to Taylor's version. And it's like such a, like, again, ego got in these men's way because for such an ironclad NDA that they seem to be offering her, the fact that in her contract, they said, after a year from the ending of your contract, you could choose to re-record your albums. Like, the fact that that was a clause in her original contract is kind of weird, but also just yeah. the fact that they were like, yeah. well, she'll never act on it. Who would, who would re-record every single album? Have you met Taylor Swift? I mean, she doesn't seem like someone who backs down. So given the opportunity to like re-record, I mean, why wouldn't she, why wouldn't she try to bankrupt that old, you know, album of music and now exactly. everything that has parentheses Taylor goes in her pocket of course why she has yeah. she has time she has what else does she have to do and she knows he have enough you know loyal fans and a big base that she literally can just make so much more money doing that and they will just stream it non-stop i mean didn't she beat don mcclain american pie like they, yeah. like she broke a spotify record or something it's insane yeah yeah it's it's insane i mean good, i mean good for her and taylor too if you want to come on this podcast and you know <laughs> You're you're more than welcome, honestly. I mean, I don't know what we're gonna talk uh, talk about, cats. but you know, we'll talk whatever, cats. exactly, whatever <laughs> we'll you want to talk, talk about, you know, we'll make the subject about you. It's true. Well, I'm just happy that we've reached a momentous moment for her of the re-release that she can own the things because I know that like Kelly Clarkson is going through something similar. There's been so many female artists and male artists, obviously, throughout history. And I just hope that we get more and more equitable uh, deals for artists because it seems like when people are vulnerable, you know, people like Scooter Braun or, or record labels will take advantage. And she is finally in a position where she's kind of powerful enough to take back, Yeah, you know, what's hers. And that's really cool. Oh, Swifties, I hope we didn't say anything to incur your ire. Yeah, l thank you for listening to, uh, I'm sorry, Taylor's version. <laughs>
Cool, now it's time for my favorite segment, which is Sorry, Not Sorry. And so we'll we'll start with Oha and see what's, uh, what's been happening this week. Yeah, um, I would like to honestly demand an apology from my best friend, uh, Stacy, because she has a new boyfriend and they came to visit me and, th- you know, things are changing a baby. Um, and, uh, you know, just getting adjusted to this new sort of like this new exchange in relationship dynamics, because I'm used to her being so obsessed with me that I need to that I need to be like, hey, Stacey, I need a little bit of space. But now that bitch has found her own full life and she's living it. And as happy as I am for her, I am adjusting. She is in, you know, probably a two rooms over. So I hope she's hearing this because I mean it. <laughs> they came to visit me here in Chicago for like two or three days. And the whole time I was just so happy for her. And then also felt truly like a third wheel for the first time really ever. Um, he's a very sweet man. So uh, again, um, I'm glad she found somebody that she like loves and hit it off with. And, you know, I think she's been looking for that. But truly, when a new boyfriend or new girlfriend comes in, <laughs> you are in for just a, uh, a whirlwind of like, oh, my God, things are not the same as they were before. Is the correct term third wheel or fifth wheel? <laughs> I guess for me, well... <sighs> I, I mean, am. I understand like we like tend to say third wheel because we're usually the third in a scenario, but I feel like it's the adding of the fifth wheel that is extra. Well, maybe maybe it's a bike. It's a bike. But yeah, then it just yeah, becomes yeah, a yeah. tricycle. And that's but, totally usable for Oh my children. God, you're truly poking holes in this okay. age-old metaphor. I'm just trying to get your mind off of it because I know how hard it is <laughs> no, when no, no. you know a, um, a, a new partner swoops in and yeah. steals your partner. <laughs> Wow, Oha Oha is just being completely destroyed this week. Her logic makes no sense. Her friendships are falling apart. Uh, I mean, I don't know Uh, what you have left, honestly. I got to really, you know, like, look at the ground as I'm walking because I'm probably going to fall steeply and, you know, hurt my hip here in the next 48 hours. Yeah. That's usually because it comes in threes, you know, three wheels. Well, Um, yeah. Except five! It's 16 wheels. Um, Who cares? But yeah, the truck. Basically demanding an apology from my best friend for being happy. And she, I does, and I deserve it. I need it. I want it. Give it to me. <laughs> so, Kiki, do you have any friends that you need an apology from for finding happiness? Uh, you know, no. I'm actually, you know, I'm going to apologize to an entire state. My favorite state. My favorite city. New York City. Oh. You know, I've only been in L.A. for like a year and I'm going to make a statement and I might lose some friends, but oh my God, it's official. LA's food scene is better than New York. And I said it and wow. I don't regret it. And I did not think it's something I would have ever said before, but um, LA's restaurants are killing it out here. And uh, I'm just glad to be on this wave. I'll I'll say I'll say that I agree as someone who currently lives in New York City and has been to LA multiple times. Uh especially like when I have like Mexican food in LA and then I have it in New York. New York just offers you the concept of Mexican food. They're like this is the idea. <laughs> you know, you get the gist of it. But LA is more like okay, yes, this is Mexican food. Okay, now I can taste it. It's there. 
everything is there like i'm gonna say like even like the pizza in new york i'm just like it's fine like i can have it somewhere else make some enemies with that one yeah i don't care i mean i'm 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 here to make enemies you know <laughs> uh, like a true new yorker <laughs> well uh this week i i had the week off so i asked some friends for like recommendations for stuff to watch and i had a friend recommend that i watch this uh guy a youtuber who made a uh like a build his own squid game okay and you know whoever wins at the end gets uh $450,000 but it's the same exact game wow oh my god yeah. okay just no no one dies and i would love an apology for uh wasting my time watching that it's why it tru- sounds like it's so fun <laughs> it's truly just you watch it i'm like oh wow this is a spoiled kid with so much money who just wanted to see people play squid game and then just give some of his money while also making way more money from the views that they got because that they literally got a hundred million views in like four days which is insane oh my god and the thing the thing is just like i do not like to uh gatekeep tv shows but I'm like this close to start gatekeeping like Squid Game. Because it's just like, I feel like a lot of people have just like watched it and now it became their whole like persona. And they use that example for everything. Like, like literally the government would do anything We're like, wow, this is like Squid Game. And they're like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Like, did you just hear about capitalism yesterday? Yes. Stop. <laughs> you need more metaphors for the painful things that are happening in the world. Exactly. Not everything is Squid Game. I am a little, I think, I feel saturated with it. Yeah. It doesn't feel, it's like when, you know, when a joke has gone like sour or a, like a topic of, of something, you're like, okay, we're, this doesn't feel fresh anymore. It's insane. Yeah. Like even like people talk about like the people like who work for like, a, like in Amazon warehouses, they're like, oh my God, this is like Squid Game. Like, no, this is like Amazon warehouse, which <laughs> sucks on its own. Yeah. Amazon warehouse is its own Squid Game. I mean, exactly. people trying to figure out where to pee while they're on like these routes like you know they have their own problems exactly I like the idea of uh, somebody a podcast in south korea that's like oh squid game you've heard of it it's like the amazon warehouse of tv shows <laughs> well that's what, one of my favorite things to watch on tiktok are these series of commercials that are airing in other countries about how poor and like foodless we are they're like <laughs> poor americans look how much they struggle and it's not a lie they're like you know they're only making you know seven dollars an hour and they can't even afford to eat and it's like not a lie yeah uh, yeah yeah that's british people love love talking about their free health care like literally they just fucking love it. Like every time something happens in the US, there are like at least four people from the UK just being like, oh my God, I can't believe you guys do this. Here in the UK, we have free healthcare. Well, also, you still have to live in the UK. So that's its own punishment, <laughs> I guess. Everywhere sucks. That is the conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely the conclusion. I'm Sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yor, and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm sorry underscore podcast. 
We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair, and always say, I'm sorry. Thanks for listening. Last Day is a show about the moments that change us. I just don't think I will ever get used to this. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have had one of these moments. We all have. So let's unpack the chaos that is our human existence together. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe the universe has a plan. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to explore happy, sad stories of transformation. It's leaning far, far into the pain. That's what it is. Listen to Last Day wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jose Andres. Maybe you know me from my restaurants or maybe from Wall Central Kitchen the organization I founded to feed people after disasters. Well, it's time for you to know my podcast, Longer Tables. Each episode, I get to know fascinating people in the most intimate way, through food. Stacey Abrams, Jojo Ma, Jane Goodall, Padma Lakshmi. I will answer questions from listeners too. Join me in building longer tables, not higher walls, whatever you get your podcasts.